0: My name is Nathan, uh, to get this thing rolling. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Christ Chapel College. um, And honestly, I'm so glad that I get to do this and get to share my morning with you all. Um, We are going to be, as you can tell, in Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, if you want to start flipping there right now. But um, if you're, this is your first Sunday with us. We've been going through the book of Hebrews, um, and we are wrapping up chapter 6 today. Uh, But before we jump into that, I think we gotta uh, face a couple of realities and they might make us a little uncomfortable, but it's gonna help us understand what's going on here. And I think to start this off, um, I'll just say it. We as people um, are really bad at keeping promises, right? Um, We all have friends and we all have families who have not kept their promises to us, right? Can we all relate to that? Like we are really, really stinking bad at keeping promises to each other. And that's why it's so impressive to us whenever people actually follow through on their word and keep their promise to us or why people are so impressed with us and are like man He's awesome because he actually stays true to his word and keeps his promises to me um, the reality is is that we are really really bad at um, Have bad experience with what commitments look like, right? Like we even have the hardest dang time committing to our Thursday evening plans and the classic like this message If you can make it group text, right? Like we've all been there. We're like, oh, I don't know. I might have something else going on um, like there is nothing more, I can say this because I was one, but there is nothing more flaky than a FOMO driven college student, right? Like, especially me, my friends can attest to that. Um, And now, honestly, like I still kind of do that, but I tend to often overcommit myself now. My wife is in here and she can attest to that. I double book myself and triple book myself and quadruple book myself way more often than I'd like to admit. I was even talking to to someone at the 9 a.m. I had planned like two or three things on the same time gap and I was supposed to hang out with somebody. And I said, hey, dude, can I like push that back to next week? And I felt so sorry, but I end up having to bail on people um, because I tend to do that. But the reality is, is that that is almost normal for us, right? Like it is almost status quo to expect someone to break their commitment, right? Um, And I think there's a lot of reasons why that is, Um, but I'm gonna get a little real here and highlight one that I think is like, a driving mo- um, a momentum behind that for kind of our age range, like your generation, my generation. Um, the sad, unfortunate reality is that we are used to unfaithfulness um, and statistically speaking, 50% of this room, half of you guys, if not more, are all products of divorce, right? Like including myself. I come from a story where my mom and my dad were both married before they found each other. They got divorced, they had kids, then they found each other, they got uh, married together, they had me and my little brother, um, and then they divorced right before I graduated high school, and they're still separated. Um, and what is really, like, what has become normal and is unfortunate is the amount of times that I've been able to connect with people on that. Like, I go into a, a meeting with somebody, and I don't even expect to ask, like, oh, are your parents together? Because I, don't, I just don't assume that anymore, because that's so common. The amount of people that that has been the common, common grounds, for us to connect with is unreal, right? Like we have become normalized to this idea of unfaithfulness um, and it's sad, but it's real. But what ultimately ends up happening is that ends up informing how we view our relationships with other people and ultimately how we view our relationship of who God is, right? Because our experience tells us that people are non-committal and that people don't know how to keep their promises to us, we begin to ask questions of, man, is God going to keep his promise to me? Like I sit here on Sundays or I'm in my Bible study or whatever, or I'm talking to a friend and they tell me God promises to do this and that. But does he actually? Because my experience is that people don't follow through on their promises. Or because people have just straight up walked out of our lives and ghosted us or just threw in the towel and want nothing to do with us anymore, we begin to wonder, like, is God going to do the same thing to me when the going gets tough, or just because he simply just doesn't care about me anymore, right? Like, those are very real questions, and they're real questions that I have asked, and that's why I'm familiar with them, but we, because we think that of, man, if my history, my storyline is one of unfaithfulness, why would God be any different, but what if I told you that we have a God who knows how to commit, who knows what faithfulness looks like, who knows how to keep his promises, and who puts his money where his mouth is. Who fully intends to keep promises that he he's made to you. And more than that, that he's actually already fulfilling right now. And gives you an opportunity to take hold of right now through a relationship with Jesus. Um, guys, that's where we're going today. I'm sorry to start off on a somber note. But that's a real thing. But um, that's what we're going to look at. So open up your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 through 20 is where we're going to be seven short verses, but there's a lot there. We're going to break it down bit by bit, kind of chew on some things, sit on some things, and honestly, I would encourage you to keep sitting in them um, throughout the rest of the week if you need to, Um, but let's start in verse 13. If you need a Bible, there's some hanging out around here. They're beautiful. You can honestly keep it. That's our gift to you. If not, it'll be up on the screen, but let's see. Starting verse 13, it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. All right, like I said, we're breaking this down bit by bit. We're going to stop right there. Um, A couple questions naturally come up, right? Um, A, we've got to assume we know what a promise is. So what is a promise? Um, B, who is Abraham? What is God's promise to Abraham? What does it mean that He will surely bless you and multiply you. Like, what's the story there? Um, If you were at my last sermon, you saw me do this a lot. I love the dictionary for giving me clarity on definition of things. So according to the Merriam-Webster app on my phone, um, let's get a good understanding of what a promise is. A promise is defined as a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specific. And then that then gives the person to whom the promise is made the right to expect and or claim the fulfillment of that specified act, right? So essentially what that's saying is a promise is made to give you reason to expect something, right? It creates grounds for expectation and fulfillment. Um, So let's say I'm standing up here right now and I promise each of you sitting in this room uh, $100 for sitting here and listening to me for the next 25-ish minutes, right? you are then either going to, A, expect that you're coming out of here $100 richer and you're going to have a great Sunday, or B, that I'm full of crap and I'm not going to keep that promise to you, right? Which, hate to break it to you, it's the latter. I'm not rich. Um, but the the concept is, is that when someone makes a promise to you, you then expect that they're going to keep uh, that promise, right? Like they're going to stay true to their word. And that might sound bottom shelf, but I think – or I want us to have a clear grasp on what that is because we're going to see how it comes into play later um, and how that informs what's going on in the rest of this passage. But moving along, what is this specific promise where it says God is surely going to bless, he made a promise to Abraham, Abraham patiently waited, obtained this promise that God will bless him and multiply him. Um, For that, it's story time. I'm going to take you back all the way to the first book of the Bible after I take a sip of water. Um, In Genesis 12, right? So um, I said this in the 9 a.m. too, and I would encourage you to do it. If you have nothing to read or you're like, man, I want to go deeper with this message or whatever, go spend some time looking at Genesis 12 all the way through Genesis 22. That's the story of God making this promise and covenant to Abraham. And you see God's faithfulness play out. You see this wild, some wild things happening. Abraham responded faith, but it's a beautiful, rich story, and I would spend some time in it. But um, Genesis 12 through 22 quick little flyover um actually did this we're gonna go to genesis 1 right okay going back a little bit more in the beginning right god created the heavens and the earth that's what we see in genesis 1 first sentence of the bible god creates everything under the heavens and the earth everything is perfect everything is good scripture says it was that god said it was very good things were perfect and flourishing god's relationship with man was like this Tight, loving, perfect, flourishing relationship, right? Everything was created as it should be. But literally, three chapters into the story of the Bible, this big book, we see sin enter into the world through man, right? And that shatters everything. It ruins everything. The world is now broken. God's relationship with man is now like this. They're no longer together but separated. And then we find out that the payment for sin is death. So we find out that we are doomed to die and uh, that's a crazy reality and we see this once beautiful holistic world now broken and we see this need arise for redemption and for restoration and for things to be restored back to how they were be including our relationship with God and so God in his kindness and in his graciousness puts into motion this plan of redemption of restoration um, of rescue is the way I like to think of it and so he decides to do that through a family so he picks just some random Joe Smo, uh, named Abraham. That's who we see here. And there was nothing special about Abraham. Sorry, my microphone is still kind of fidgety. But there was nothing special about Abraham other than the simple fact that God chose him, right? Um, I love that truth. There was nothing special about him other than the fact that God chose him. Um, Abraham had a wife named Sarah. They are super old at this point, about 90 years old to be exact. fact. So they're old, gray, kind of saggy, kind of gross. Um, Just kidding. I love old people. Um, But their story um, in their relationship together is that they have always wanted a kid. They've always wanted children. They've always wanted a family. Sarah, unfortunately, is barren, meaning she can't have children. She can't have kids. So Sarah and Abraham have tried and they have tried and they have tried time and time again, and they can't have a kid. And it becomes this really sad reality of theirs that that's just not going to be a thing in their life, that they're just not going to have children. And so, obviously, they're old at this point. They have probably accepted that, and they're like, all right, that's not a reality for us. But then God shows up into Abraham's life, right? Again, chooses him. He says, I am going to choose Abraham, and I'm going to build him a family. Um, And, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. He chooses Abraham, shows up in Abraham's life, and he says, Abraham, look up. Um, Look at the stars in the night sky. Now, it's a clear night. Um, There's no light pollution at that time, right? It's the beginning of the world. It's awesome. So the stars are beautiful. Now, he starts to count them, and he's obviously trying 1,001, 1,003, 1,000-whatever, and then loses count. You can't count the number of stars in the sky, right? Like, that's impossible. And so God says, guess what, Abraham? And Abraham is listening, and God continues to reveal himself. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you and Sarah as many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that you're not going to be able to count them either. They're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to bless the world through this family. And one day, one of your great, 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 great grandchildren, spoiler, it's going to be Jesus, is who I'm going to use to restore this broken world back to what it should be, to restore man's relationship to me, to save them from their sin, die the death that they should have died, and restore newness of life and usher in this new kingdom, this new heavens and new earth. And it is this beautiful promise that God makes to Abraham. And Abraham and Sarah, again, they are 90 years old. They've tried to have kids, and they just, it's never happened. And so their first reaction is literally like, God, no shot. I don't believe you. No way you can keep that promise to me. Like, we don't even have a single kid. How the heck? We have got, like, literally seconds left to live. We're that old. Like, how are you going to give us that many children in that amount of time? Um, And God just continues to reveal himself to them just in his kindness, and then ultimately we see them believe and trust and put their faith in God and realize that when God says something and he gives you his word, he's going to follow through on it. Um, And sure enough, they literally, a couple chapters later, you'll see this in Genesis 12 through 22, um, they have a kid named Isaac, and that's their first son. And then the rest of the Old Testament is literally just a story of those people and this family all coming along and together. So that is the promise um, in this passage that it's quoting that God is going to give Abraham this family, start a family through him, and through that family, bless the world, and one day redeem the whole world through the offspring of this family. So that's that. Let's move along. Um, We see in verse 13 that right there it says, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. That's kind of odd. What does that mean? It's talking about God. That thought picks back up in verse 16, which we'll read right here. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation so when god desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose he guaranteed it with an oath okay so we saw a promise in those first couple verses and now we have an oath promise plus an oath more water um okay more questions come up right what is an oath how is that different than a promise and what is this specific oath kind of the same questions why doesn't matter. Why are those two things next to each other? Um, why is this happening? Why is the author telling us about this? Um, okay, so an oath. What do you think of when you think of an oath? Because what I think of is uh, my mind immediately goes to people saying, "I swear on my mother's grave," right? Or like, "I swear on my firstborn child, I'm gonna do this." Um, I swear on my mother's grave, I'm gonna give you a hundred dollars, right? Like. I'm actually not, but I also think of a court of law where people put like their hands on the Bible and they say, I swear to tell the truth on God and nothing but the truth, right? Like it's this appeal to a higher authority, right? Or they're putting something of high value on the line to add credibility and validation to the truth or trustworthiness of their word, right? Of like you can bet on it and bank on it that I'm going to keep my promise to you because I'm putting my mother's literal grave on the line. I don't know what's going to happen if they lie and what happens to the mother's grave. Like, does it get dug up? I'm not quite sure. That's a rabbit trail for later. Um, But that's the idea of an oath, right? It's this idea that I will follow through on my word to you. Um, So essentially what we're seeing is God makes this promise, and then he doubles down on that promise. He puts his name. He can't swear by anyone greater than himself, right? So he swears on himself, and he puts his name, his reputation on the line. Um, God, who is perfect and holy and true. It's impossible for him to lie, right? Which we're about to read. And so if he doesn't keep his word, he would cease to be God, right? That's kind of what this context is saying of like you can bank on it because he's putting his own name on the line, putting himself on the line here. Um, He's saying, I'm committed to keeping this promise to you. Um, Another way you can think of how this works is think of um, getting married, right? I'm not sure if any of y'all are actually married in here. I am. Um, One day, I hope that all of y'all, Will be married. It's the greatest thing ever. Um, I'm married to a beautiful gal named Lexi. You should all meet her. Um, but there was a distinct moment when I knew that I was going to marry this girl, and when I knew that I was, I she was the one I wanted. When I wanted to commit to her and love her for the rest of my life and lay down my life for her and serve her, it was like I was. It was a very clear moment um, to give you a snapshot of who she is. It, we we had both spent a summer apart. We'd been dating for like six, seven months. Does that sound right? I don't know. Six, seven months. She's back there. Um, and we had spent the summer apart. I was working at a camp with no cell phone service. She was in Africa with no cell phone service. She was literally hanging IV bags off of tree branches to save people's lives. That's how cool she is. She's a freaking hero. Um, but at one point at the end of the summer, we caught up in Austin, Texas and went to this place called Mozart's and we're sitting by the lake. It's already a beautiful day. So it's like recipe for disaster for falling in love. Um, But she was recapping, like, her summer experience for me um, and telling me, like, man, here's parts of my life that I really want to just give up to the Lord and, like, surrender my life to the Lord. And here's what he was doing and teaching me. And here's what I saw him do. And I'm just, like, smitten. I'm like, A, you're beautiful and gorgeous. B, like, you love Jesus. Like, what could be better? You're the one I want. Um, And so it was in that moment I was like, I want to commit to you. And the rest of our relationship, obviously, is me telling her I love her, me doing things that show her that, that. Are kind of putting my money where my mouth is, Of like, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, right? But it doesn't just stop there, right? In our culture, what do we do to show that we mean it? We get married, right? We put a ring on our finger. We stand at an altar before God, before our favorite people, before witnesses, and they watch us make vows to each other that say, I am committed to you. They watch us make and create this covenant to each other that says, yes, I'm committing to you and no one else. And here's all these people, here's these words that I'm saying to prove it. Right. That's what we do. And it's this covenant. Right. I brought that up for a reason. It's not a contract. It's not a you scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. It's not a you hold up your end of the deal and I'll hold up mine. It's this covenant relationship that says no matter what for uh, better, for worse, for richer, for sick, for uh, what are the other ones? You you get what I'm saying, right? Like no matter what you obviously I paid attention to my vows. Um, No matter what I am committed to you, it's based off of this unconditional love. This unconditional commitment that says, no matter what, I am committed to you, right? Um, And, I mean, let's get a little more real again. Like, going back to what I shared earlier, those statistics. Like, that, even that isn't a perfect illustration because we see marriages break all the time. I've seen my own parents' marriages break twice now, right? Like, the reality is we live in a broken world, and we just don't hold up this idea of covenant uh, perfectly. But God is the perfection of that idea. Right, like that is the reason we have marriage. It's this m- in Ephesians five. It says it is a mystery of God, um, and it shows us it is the clearest picture that we have of what a relationship with God looks like. God is the perfection of this idea that I am committed to you, no matter what, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you do, you can't run away from me. I'm always going to love you. That is what it. This is. Um, God is the perfection of that idea. And in verse eighteen, we see that by two unchangeable things, by this promise, by this oath. Um, In which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Um, The two unchangeable things are God's promise and his oath, right? And the character of God, again, he is holy, he is good. There's so many characteristics that we could expound on and do a million sermons on of who God is. But one thing we know is that he's unchanging and he does not lie. So his announcement of his promise, which is not going to change, doubled down on this oath, which is for sure not going to change, should give us hope and should give us strong encouragement and encourages. Um, and because of that, because of those things, because God is unchanging and always faithful and keeps his promises, verse 19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone on a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I love that language. There's a lot there. We're going to focus on the anchor part and the sure and steadfast. Uh, Ben has spent a lot of time unpacking the idea of the forerunner, the high priest. Go back and watch some of our sermons or come talk to me. And then that thing about Melchizedek, weird character, putting that down the road. We're going to talk about that next week. It's fascinating you should all come it's gonna expand our view of who Jesus is it's gonna be sweet but we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul so what this little section is saying is that the promise combined with the oath is meant to give us a deep deep sense of encouragement of confidence assurance steadfast anchor of the soul deep deep hope think of what an anchor is right Do we all know what an anchor is? It's attached to a ship. It's this big heavy metal object that whenever the winds and the waves are coming around a a ship or the storm is getting wild, They drop this anchor this big heavy metal object that digs into the bedrock of the ocean is secure There's this unbreakable chain attached to it on the other end of the ship so that these people on the boat The sailors can know that they aren't going to go anywhere Dramatically decreases the likelihood that they're going to be shipwrecked right that they're going to crash into the shores or the Cliff walls or whatever it is whatever happens to boats on the ocean. I've never sailed Um, But it's this idea of man. There is security here, right? Like, we can trust that we are not going to go anywhere if this anchor does its job, right? Um, The promise of salvation, life in the presence of God, through Jesus' high priesthood, is a sure and secure, trustworthy hope. What anchors our soul, what anchors our heart, is the sure, objective reality that God keeps his promises. And that should give us hope. Um, I'm going to go on a little tangent here a little rabbit trail because I think it's worth sharing but I want you to scroll or flip all the way back up to verse 12 which we didn't read Ben read it last week um it's not going to be on the screen so I'm going to read it for you but it says be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises um here's what I want to highlight that word inherit right what it's like it's inherit not earn um What do you think of when you think of the word inherit or inheritance, right? You think of a family. You think of, yeah, I'm getting my great-grandmother's inheritance or her estate or my dad is leaving me his inheritance or whatever it is, right? You get this inheritance just based off the simple fact that you are a member of the family, right? And they have said, I'm going to give this to you. There's nothing that you do to earn it. Nothing qualifies you to earn this inheritance, whatever it is, other than the simple fact that you're a member of the family, right? here's why i want to highlight that if you are in jesus christ you are made a son and daughter of the living god of the universe and he has these promises that he's made to abraham whose family is going to bless the world and whose family is bringing restoration if you are in jesus christ you are adopted into that same family right you are now called a son and a daughter like that is what brought god down to earth wrapped himself up in skin lived a perfect life, died the death that we should have died, and then rose again so that you could be adopted into that family, into this perfect family by a perfect, loving father who has promises, who wants to bless you and your life. The Id- this idea that you are adopted by the God of the universe in Jesus Christ forms the bedrock. Think of that ocean again. The bedrock for the trustworthiness of God and the encouragement to endure in hope, Right? Like, that is the basis of it. That is what anchors us down. Um, but leaving that rabbit trail, like, I get it, right? I I get that there are moments in the life when the storms just seem super crazy. Like, I get conceptually that God has promises for me. I get conceptually that people tell me he is good, that people tell me he's going to pull through. I, I I get that, right? But what happens in the moments when the waves of, depression or anxiety or loneliness or my sin or just my crummy situation circumstances are going on and I just don't believe it right when I just don't know anymore or I just simply don't believe or know or I start to question like is life with God actually worth it right what happens at that point um, I think we do a couple things I think first we remember we look back right um, the call to remember, or to not forget, is this consistent theme throughout the entire narrative of Scripture. Um, it's this thread that you can follow from the beginning to the end. Of I, like, you could go through your Bible and highlight how many times you see the word "remember," and I'm I could probably guarantee that it's about on every every page. It's used that much. Um, but I think the reason that that is is because we are forgetful people, right? Like we forget. A lot. Um, you see stories in scripture, and you could look back at your own life and you forget like good things that happened. I can barely even remember what I ate this morning or what I did yesterday. Um, I'm, yeah, I just have an awful memory. But we see in Genesis, right? Uh, Moses comes into the picture, and then in Exodus, we see this wonderful story of these people, the Israelites, God's chosen people, this family that he's made. He rescues them from slavery, from this context where they were getting beat on they're building the egyptian's empire they were getting spat on they were being oppressed in some wild crazy ways um and god rescues them right he he brings them to this point moses is leading them, brings them to this point where they come to the Red Sea, God literally splits the waters, and they walk through it perfectly fine, and as soon as their enemies come falling behind them, the waters just crash on them, right? And it is this miraculous work that God uses to rescue them, and they are on their way to the promised land, and literally, Ben had highlighted this a couple weeks ago, if you remember, but literally the next sentence in scripture after they've been delivered is that they're grumbling, and that they have forgotten, right? They forgot that God just did this amazing work to rescue them and to save them. And they start grumbling like, man, are we just here in this desert to starve and to die thirsty? Like, I would give anything to be a slave again just to have the scraps of my master's food. And they forgot that God just provided for them in the wildest way, right? And we see that throughout the entire Old Testament. It's just a story of God's people forgetting how good he is, forgetting how good he is, him coming in clutch, and then they forget again. And it's like, when are you going to get it? And it happens in the New Testament with the disciples, they consistently forget the words that Jesus said, the things that he's done, some crazy miraculous things, and they forget who he is, right? And we do that too. We are a forgetful people. But another thread intertwined with that idea of remembering and this call to not forget is this theme and heartbeat throughout all of scripture that God's steadfast love endures forever, that he is faithful, right? Deuteronomy 7 9 is a verse that I've just hold on to this year. It says know therefore remember That the Lord your God is God the faithful God Who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments? Um, So that's the first thing we do we remember we look back There's this idea that you stack up Ebenezer stones is what they're called and Ebenezer is kind of a weird word It makes me think of the Christmas story But it's this idea that they are stones of remembrance, right? So these moments in life where you've seen God be faithful to you, you write that down rather through like, uh, I like to journal and prayer, uh, write down my prayers. And what that does is like, it allows me to go look back like I was doing it recently. Saw this moment in 2017 of things that I was praying for that I totally forgot about. And then I saw God like, he's fulfilled that um, now and answered my prayers. Some ways that I want, some ways that I never thought I would imagine, but I'm, Remember these things and create these stones of remembrance, and I put them down, and you stack them up, stone by stone, so that whenever you come along life, you're journaling, journeying through life, not journaling, maybe journaling. And you're in a moment where you are doubting, where things are hard, where things are frustrating, you can literally look back at all these times where God has been faithful, where He has kept his promise, where He has been good, and you can look back and remember, man, you're going to do it again. Because you've done it all those times, I can trust that you're going to do it again. And then when he is, you take that stone and you just stack it up, and you keep going, right? So that's the first thing you do. You look back. You remember. Second thing, you look forward, right? You long for the promises that he has made and the fulfillment of them. Um, promise that God will restore this world, will restore you and redeem you to a relationship with God, that he does offer life and life abundant, right, in a relationship with Jesus, that you will live forever with Jesus. Like, how sweet is that promise, right? That in a relationship with him, Your soul will never die, but you'll literally just be worshiping Jesus in this perfect, thriving, flourishing relationship for forever. It sounds wonderful. Um, I even was thinking of the worship song that we were singing earlier, but he promises that if we are crucified with him, then death is just a doorway into resurrection life. That if we join him in his suffering, then we'll join him when he rises. And guys, he has already risen, and he will return in glory. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And you can have that life right here, right now, through a relationship with Jesus. And if you are in Jesus, there's another promise that he makes, that when we mess up, when we miss the mark, when we sin and we fall short again, and we always will, Romans 8:1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Like, that is empowering to know that I messed up, but that doesn't condemn me. The God of the universe isn't just writing me off because I've fell into that trap again. Like, there's hope in that, right? Like, there's encouragement in that. There's the promise I'm thinking of so many of like when we are grieving and we are hurting, God promises that He draws near to those who are broken hearted and broken in spirit, crushed in spirit, right? Like we can bank on that that He is near us and that He is sitting in the mud with us in those moments. There's the promise that when we seek Him and we seek Him with our whole heart, we will find Him. Um, I mentioned this earlier. I used to work at camps in the summer, and one of the things that they train you to do um, with especially younger kids who always want to know what's going to happen that day and what the schedule is, you want everything to be like this, like surprise and delightful experience for campers, right? Like everything, it's supposed to be the best week of their life, the best two weeks of their life, whatever it is. And so you never tell them what's coming because when you do, they're going to get disappointed or it's not going to be what they expected. But if you don't tell them, it's going to happen and they're just going to think it's the most epic thing ever, right? So they train you to say whenever a camper is like, hey, what are we doing after lunch or whatever? um, You say, I don't know, but I know it's going to be good. And that's kind of the motto that you take and honestly guys, I have adopted that into my life like nothing else Of man, I don't know what's going to be next. I don't know what's around this corner Life is tough or maybe it's good But I don't know what life is going to look like five minutes from now or five years from now But I know it's going to be good Because I know He is trustworthy because I know he's always been faithful and I can bank that he always will be right um and honestly like Share a personal example more of what that looks like in my life like 2019 I was doing this program with Christ Chapel called the residency I was engaged to my beautiful bride, but that year was harder than anything else for me as far as insecurity as far as anxiety as far as like depression Um, And I still deal with a lot of that stuff, but that year specifically was like a gauntlet (laughs) Which I use that word a lot, but it was just brutal And I felt like I was down in the dumps. I would never experienced it to that depth ever before. And I remember thinking constantly every day, like, man, God, are you not going to show up? Are you not going to deliver me from this? Are you not going to rescue me from this? And I remember days and nights where I would just sit in my bed crying or sit on the couch crying. And then ultimately, like, God brought me out of that season faithfully in his kindness, in his grace, and drew me out of that. And I would be lying if I told you I didn't have moments where, like, stuff like that comes back up, where insecurity swallows me or when anxiety becomes this crippling thing or where there's days where I sit on my couch literally just bawling for no other reason than I just feel sad. But I look back to that specific year, that stone of remembrance, and I know that he's going to do it again. And I know that he promises to me one day, this is what I do now, of like, there will be a day in the new heavens and new, new earth where there is no more tear, there is no more grief, there is no more sorrow, there is no more pain, because I'll be with you, right? And I look back, and I cling to what will be, and it gives me so much hope to to endure. And that's the last thing that we do. We just patiently wait. We patiently endure in the waiting, in the hurting, in the moment when life is filled with doubt, those waves of depression whatever anxiety insecurity i don't know where you are right now but wherever that is for you whatever that is for you you patiently wait it's verse 12 says be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises abraham patiently waited and obtained the promise right like you endure it knowing that he has been good knowing that he always will be and i think when we lose perspective and lose sight of the f- of those two things The patiently waiting becomes really hard, right? That's when things get hopeless. So we've got to keep those in front of us to give us hope and to give us the power and the empowerment to patiently wait. Like, that's not something that we can muster up in and of ourselves. If we try that, we're going to lose. Like, it's going to suck. We're going to be hopeless. But with Jesus, we have a hope. Um, To kind of start wrapping this up, like, God— he does not know how to bail on you. He does not know how to walk out on you. He does not know how to be unfaithful. God is marked. His character is one of faithfulness to you, right? He keeps his promises. So to the guys in this room who feel like they have seriously missed the mark and find themselves asking the question, man, how did I get here? How did I find myself doing this? How did I become this guy right here right now? Like there's no way this can be redemptive, right? Like, God promises that no matter what you've done, if you were in Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he's not going to cast you away, right? He's not going to cast you off. He's not going to stiff-arm you and say, sorry, bucko, but that's the last straw. The story of the prodigal son is one where this son of a father literally just goes, spends all of his father's money, runs away, just goes and finds himself in some wicked things, and, and then he finds himself at this moment where it's like, no way my father ever takes me back. And he's like, but maybe he'll take me back as a servant or as a slave, and I can serve my father. So he comes back home, and before he even saw his dad, his dad was looking for him and waiting for him with arms wide open, saying, come back home, return to me, come into my loving embrace, like you could never not be my son, right? That is what God says to you, that you will never be cast off, you will never be condemned. My sisters in this room who feel like their history, what they've done, or what has been done to them and there's shame there, there's guilt, there's regret, whatever it is and you start to wonder, man, there's no way this can be redeemed. In a relationship with Jesus, God died, was buried and rose again to make you new, to wash you white as snow, literally to redeem you from whatever it is that is bogging you down, whatever it is you feel trapped in, right? Like you, the old is gone, the new has come in a relationship with Jesus, into the hurting and the broken in this room. Maybe you're the one that experiences the anxiety, the depression, the loneliness, the insecurity, whatever it is. God promises that he's never going to leave you to be on your own. And he promises to comfort you and offers you an indescribable peace that surpasses all understanding. And it does. I've tasted it and it is sweet. Guys, I'm going to leave you with this. Just know this. And we're about to sing a song that says it, but God keeps his promises. He's always going to be faithful. He always has been. He always will be. And that truth, that simple basic truth that we seem to forget will never change. So would we have a long and enduring hope because of it? I'm going to pray. Father, you're good and you're kind and you're faithful and you love us despite us, despite the things that we've done, despite how we feel, despite the things we wrestle with daily, you don't give up on us. You consistently love us. You always have and you always will. Um, Father, I pray that all of us in this room, the people here on stage leading us in worship um, and everyone sitting in a chair right here right now, God, it is not a coincidence that we are hearing this truth right here right now, God, and I just pray that you would help us trust you in the areas where it is hardest to trust you, God. Um, I pray that we would remember that in a relationship with you, there is life and life abundant and life forever. And we are called son and daughter by you, God. Um, And for those of us that aren't in you, God, I just pray that you stir our affections. And if we don't have that hope and we feel like we're being knocked around by the wind and the waves, God, that we would learn what it's like to surrender our lives to you, God. You are faithful, you are good, and you will never change. Would we rest in that? Would we rejoice in that? We love you, Jesus. And it's your name that we pray, amen.